Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Photo Taco. Thanks for spending a few minutes of your time with me today. My name is Jeff Harmon. I'm the hobbyist editor at ImprovePhotography.com and the host of this podcast. And today's topic is to DNG or not to DNG. And if you don't know what that means, you got to stay tuned. Even if you do, I think there might be some new things here that you may not have heard yet. So stay with me and let's get going on it. I have to warn you up front, I have a lot to say on the topic. So this is going to be a two-part episode again. Let's get going. All right. First off, like a lot of things, we have to go back into the history of photography just a little bit so we can actually talk about DNG files. I can hear a whole bunch of people think, what, saying to me, what are DNG files and why should I care? So let's go back to the film days. It didn't matter what brand of film you bought. The negatives were all processed the same way. In fact, film was ubiquitous. You could, you could buy Fuji film and put them in a Kodak camera and have that work. Or you could put a Kodak film into a Fuji camera and have that work. It was all standardized. And then you could even take them home or take them to a lab and the same chemicals were being used to process the photos. You didn't have to do special things because you bought Fuji film versus Kodak film. It was all the same. Not the case with digital cameras. You can't use Canon software to process a Nikon RAW file. In fact, the RAW file format between different camera bodies in the same manufacturer isn't even the same. You, you'll, I'm sure you've seen that as a new camera comes out, as a, especially let's, let's take Sony since they release a new camera every hour. <laughs> they have uh, the Photoshop and Lightroom don't necessarily have the support for the latest version of that camera as it's released. You frequently have to get a, an update to Lightroom or Camera Raw, that's part of Photoshop, in order to be able to read the raw file from those cameras. Not necessarily every one, but a lot of them. When the 7D Mark II was first released and I bought it, I had to wait a couple months before Lightroom could actually read the raw files. So they're very proprietary. They don't share that information very much. And so there's something that Adobe came up with in 2004. They developed something that they call the DNG file format. DNG is short, stands for digital negative. And they kind of were trying to say, we think as a company that we need standardization the same way that there was with film. So we've made this open format. It's royalty free and everyone should start using it. And adoption's not really gone that great. There are some cameras that actually give you the option to write your photos out in DNG format on your memory card. There's a fair number of post-processing software besides Adobe's that can also read DNG files. But it's not standardized. It's definitely not something that is fully accepted by everybody as evidenced by the fact that a lot of you probably didn't even know what a DNG is. All right, so that's kind of the concept of what a DNG file format is. It's like raw files in power, like the amount of data that's in them, how flexible they are. 
the difference between raw and DNG is pretty small. It's virtually the same. In fact, Adobe says there's no data loss at all when you convert a raw file from a camera format into the DNG format. It's the same. So you, you, that's the idea is it's one that's the same but is a standard format, <laughs> something that can be used in other ones. All right, so you may have noticed on import in Lightroom, you actually have the option to be able to have it convert your camera's raw file format to DNG if you'd like it to. The question is, should you? And I'm gonna tell you my opinion on that at the very end of the second episode. So you're gonna have to wait till next week, but Let's go through some of the pros of why it is you might consider DNG. And what, what kind of spurred this podcast episode was an article from at adobe.com, a guest author named Martin Evening, who's written multiple books on Photoshop and Lightroom and, and is a, a Photoshop and Lightroom expert. He guest posted an article at adobe.com on their blog there called DNG Pros, Cons, and Myths. And as I read it, I thought, ooh, this is interesting. It's a third party. He doesn't work for Adobe, but he's definitely very much drinking the Adobe Kool-Aid. So I wanted to go through the article, offer my own opinions about it, and hopefully you'll be able to make an informed decision about whether or not you want to use the DNG format. So let's let's start with it. Before I get right into the pros, which is all I'm going to have time to cover in this episode, I'll get to cons and myths in the next one. I wanted to make it clear that Adobe definitely has an agenda here. And there's a reason Adobe put his article on their blog, because it's very supportive of DNG file formats. That's why I want to add my own commentary to it and see if, if you think you want to be able to do that. I want you to be able to make an informed decision. And why do they have an agenda? Well, okay, the, the format, the way that the file is written out is open. It's not royal, it's royalty free. There's nobody that has to pay for it. If, if Creative One wants to support DNG, they can do that without it costing them a dime. They can do that other than the development time it takes for them to be able to add to their software the ability to read that file. But it's not something where Adobe's trying to make money off of the format itself. Anyone is free to use it if, if they'd like to. However, they are definitely trying to push Adobe and Lightroom licenses, right? That's, they want to sell as many of those as they can. And so they'll always be able to say, look, we created the DNG format. We invented it. Our software knows how to use it the very best. If you want the best way to have a good experience with DNG files, you've got to use our software. And that's going to sell Photoshop and Lightroom licenses. So they're highly incented. They want you to use DNG and they have an agenda for it. So keep that in mind as we go through this, that Adobe is trying really hard to convince everybody that they should be using the DNG file format. All right, with that said, let's go through the pros that Martin outlines in his guest uh, blog post. And the first one is DNG as an archival format. So what does that mean? Why, why do we think that would be a pro or a good thing? And I, 
I do actually kind of agree somewhat with his premise here. Let's say in 25 years, let's think 25 years ahead, you're not going to be using the same camera body you have today. Certainly not. You're not going to be using the same post-processing software you have today. It may still be Adobe. Hopefully they figure it out and keep Lightroom competitive so that it can stay around. But you're, it's not going to be the same. And the likelihood that the software 25 years from now is going to be able to read your camera specific and proprietary format of a raw file, it's not very good. They can't keep it for that long. They can't keep all of that uh, detail about how to read those file formats for all of the different cameras that have happened ever since the beginning of digital cameras. That's not practical. It's not going to work. So at some point, software vendors are going to have to stop supporting old file formats. They're going to have to quit supporting maybe the format that you're using right now. If your catalog then, if your Lightroom catalog has only those file formats, if you have a Nikon camera and you only keep the raw files, then in 25 years, if you ever wanted to go back and edit one of these raw files, maybe they've created some really cool uh, analytic software or something, added some feature to Lightroom in the future, and uh, it can save a photo that you weren't able to salvage today. If it's in that raw file format that's specific to the camera, it might not be able to read it anymore. And that camera or that photo will essentially be dead. You won't be able to do anything with it. So a DNG format, Adobe's always going to support DNG. It's part of their whole software package with Photoshop and Lightroom. It will always be there. So their argument is if you convert them to DNG, you will forever be able to use our software to edit and post-process those files. Absolutely true. Are there other formats that can work like that though? You might wonder, well, what about JPEG? I use JPEG a lot right now. If you're putting photos out on the web or if you're delivering photos to clients for them to print themselves, you're delivering JPEG files. It's just the ubiquitous standard format that's there today. Part of the reason for it is the vast support in browsers. Another part is the file size. JPEGs are way smaller than raw files are. So, but but they don't have the power because they're so tiny there's a whole bunch of data that's been stripped out of them and we've talked about this before raw versus jpeg on improved photography podcast on this podcast there are huge reasons why you want to shoot in raw and post-process raw files compared to jpegs so jpegs are not ultimately a good way to archive your photos and have that be something that will be good to edit from in 25 years okay what about tiff tiff is another file format that you can get to in either photoshop or lightroom you can save you can export your files you can save them in photoshop or export them in lightroom and have it right to a tiff format and tiff is a really solid choice for that I'd say today that is the other very compelling or good file format to use for archiving your photos. Um, TIFF is a lossless compression. That means none of that data, you don't lose the data when you write it out to a TIFF. It has 
all of the data that a raw file does too. There are some differences with kind of the metadata that goes with it. Um, not everything, not if you write out a TIFF file from Photoshop, Photoshop's going to try to write into the TIFF file kind of what the exposure settings were and what the white balance settings were and some other information. But when you go to read that in, in a different software package, it might not find the same settings. It might not find that metadata in there in the same way. It might not be looking for it. Uh, and they're not quite as flexible as your raw files. So you don't lose almost anything. It's so, so close that I'd say it's a very good option. And maybe at this point, probably preferred to DNG just because it's not universally accepted by other software packages. But anyway, that was the first pro that they had listed there was it being an archival format. And there is kind of a point. Okay, the second one, and this is one I really, really want to test because I'm not sure I believe it. And But boy, if it's true, I probably would convert. Here's what they say. He says that, uh, you know, the latest version of Lightroom and Camera Raw, they have done a really good job of increasing the speed of, of uh, raw file processing. They do it with some caching and they've really made some big improvements there. And I agree, there have been some big improvements made so that raw file reading, the loading from your hard drive into Lightroom or into Photoshop so you can do something with it, that is improved. But they said it's still not as good as DNG. And in fact, what makes a very big difference is computers that have multiple cores. And some of you probably don't know what that means. I guarantee the computer you're using to process your photos has more than one core in it. At least two, probably four, it could be as many eight or 16 or more, depending on what computer you have. What that means is each one of those cores, think of them as engines or, or things that can do work. And if your software is written in a way that it can send work to all of those engines at once, it gets done, the work gets done way faster instead of some software is only written that it can only send the work to one engine, even though there might be two or four or more in your computer, it can only use one of them at a time. And that's what they're saying is a difference here. DNG files, Photoshop and Lightroom have been written, the software has been created so that when it's reading in the file, it can use all of the engines that are available on your computer. Whereas with raw files, it can only use one. It's a limitation Adobe's built into it, or maybe not a limitation, but so far they haven't tried to solve the raw file read of your specific camera software, and but they have done it for DNG. So there's a performance increase there as you read in the files. Now my question would be, does that help then as you are doing adjustments and sliders? I think it might because I think there is a lot of data that's being read from the disk or out of memory as you're doing that. And it might actually impact it even though it's not because, well, because it's reading that, that file all the time. I really got to test it though. I, it's going to be something I'll be following up with. I will uh, either do another pod, photo taco podcast episode or I'm going to put an article out at improvephotography.com and test 
if the DNG file format is faster than raw after import. All right, so that's a pro that Martin listed for the DNG format. Another pro is the size of the DNG file compared to the size of the raw file. And he has an example on his blog about a uh, image he took. It's a Hasselblad 3FR raw image format. And the format, the file, the raw file from the Hasselblad was 83 meg. And when he converted it to DNG, it was 75 meg. So it saved about 10% of the space, which is not too bad. That's a, it's a, it, that amounts to a lot of savings when you consider the thousands and thousands of photos you've got. If you can save 10% of the disk, that saves you more disk. That saves more time of having to not having to buy another hard drive. It saves you time on backing up your files. It's, it's something. It's, it could be material. I don't think it would convince me on that alone to do DNG, but it is a factor. It's something you consider. It is smaller. And now it's not smaller in the same way that JPEG files are smaller. Talked about how those are significantly smaller. They are way littler. This, it, the problem with that is when you convert from raw to JPEG, you're losing a bunch of data. That's part of how that conversion works. That's why it can get so little. It's throwing away a whole bunch of data. It's kind of grouping data together and saying, these are all so close to the same, I'm gonna just make them the same. And you can't get that back from a JPEG file. You can't reverse that and get all the data back. That's not the case with DNG. You don't lose any of the data. When you convert a raw file from your camera format into a DNG, the DNG still has all of the data but it's smaller. They've done a really good job of trying to, to make that work that way. Um, another pro, and it just happens automatically, so I'm not sure this is really that big of a pro of something to consider. I guess maybe it's just why it is that uh, Adobe made the decision to have it work this way in Lightroom. With Lightroom 6, there's a new feature to be able to do HDR merge and uh, and have that happen all within Lightroom. You didn't have to take it out to Photoshop or any other software package like say Photomatics. So um, when you do that, after it merges your photos together, it produces a single DNG file. And that DNG file is just like a RAW. So if you had three RAW files that you merged to one HDR, you end up with a DNG file that is has all of the flexibility of a RAW file. That's cool, it, it is, it's very nice. And I've seen how round tripping into Photoshop has worked or even round tripping into Photomatics and coming back with a TIFF. It's not quite as flexible. I've definitely seen difference there where the DNG file that Lightroom produces has more flexibility to be able to do highlight and shadow recovery and uh, white balance adjustments than a TIFF file has from the other systems. So it, it is an advantage, I think, if you can get Lightroom to do your HDR merge, you end up with a better file to be able to do more edits against with a DNG file than you would if it was a different format. But again, it's it's automatic. You don't, you don't have to choose whether or not you're going to use HDR. So I'm not really sure this is much of a pro for the format. All right, the last pro that Martin listed and it's going to kind of be the last point of this episode is uh, keeping up to date without upgrading. And this would be a huge pro if you are a user of Photoshop, 
that is old. If you're still using CS6 or CS5 suite, the creative suite, uh, you know, several years ago, uh, Photoshop or Lightroom versions from several years ago, you don't, you're not getting updates anymore to camera raw or Lightroom. And therefore any brand new camera you're getting, it's not going to support reading those raw file formats. I already talked about how, even if you had a Canon, it, it could read a, an older Canon camera, a brand new one, it may not be able to read those files and process them. So Adobe has created a solution for that. They've got a free utility called the Adobe Digital Negative Converter, and it will do kind of a batch process. It'll take a whole bunch of, you can point the utility at a whole bunch of different photos and push a button and it will convert every one of them in a directory, say in a folder to the DNG format. And then you can take that DNG file, even though it came from a camera that an old version of Lightroom or Photoshop didn't support in the raw file, and it will read in that DNG file. So there is that. And if that is you, if you're using an old version of Photoshop or Lightroom, it's the only way that you're going to be able to read in camera formats that are from the old or from newer cameras. I guess the other option could be to use the, the software that comes with the camera and have it convert it to a TIFF. But again, while a TIFF is super close to a RAW file and, and is really a good choice, especially in archive purposes, um, it's not quite the same. It's just barely not, not the same as a RAW file. So a D, converting it to DNG would definitely be uh, a choice that I would choose instead. All right, so there's the first half of this episode. And we've talked about the supposed pros of going to DNG. And I'm trying not to lead ahead on how I feel about it and whether or not I'm using DNG. I will get to that. At the end of the next episode, I'll tell you whether or not I've been using DNG. And if I hadn't, if I'm converting to DNG. Um, but that's, that's going to be it for this episode. Be sure to catch the next one. All right. Now, if you haven't joined our Facebook group yet by going to facebook.com slash groups slash photo taco, you're missing out on at least half the experience of the podcast. Also, it would really, really help the show if you'd pop over in iTunes and give us a review. It really does a lot if you will head over there and give us a review. So if you like the show, please go and give us a review. Also, be sure to visit improvephotography.com. We have constant updates, news, gear, and other photo tip articles out there that are also going to be interesting. If you like Photo Taco, you've got to go check out improvephotography.com a lot. It is the best way to improve your photography. Photo Taco! Views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of Improved Photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a permission is reserved. Olay!